You are listening to episode 52 of the Winning to Wealth podcast, Building Wealth as a Woman of Color with Carmen Perez of Make Real Sense. You're listening to the Winning to Wealth podcast, where you'll hear real stories from real people who are on the path to building real wealth. These stories will show you how to earn more money, pay off debt, start investing, and make better money choices so you can build wealth for your future. Now, here's your host, Michael Lacey. What's up, what's up, what's up, teammates? This is episode 52 of the Winning to Wealth podcast. And today we're going to be talking about building wealth as a woman of color. My guest today is the founder of the financial education platform Make Real Sense and the creator of Budget Better, Ms. Carmen Perez. Now, before we get into the episode, I got to give you a warning. Carmen and I come from very, very similar backgrounds and have a few similarities in our story. Now, as a result of those commonalities, this interview gets hilariously real at one point. Like we couldn't even get words out. We were laughing so hard and I'm about to start laughing right now. And we talked about editing that part of the interview out. But as I was listening back during editing, I really decided not to because I just know so many of you are going to relate to that segment and you're going to find those minutes absolutely hilarious. So I really hope I'm right about that. But that's why this week's episode is a little bit longer than normal. Another thing to note, Carmen really unintentionally wrapped up the episode for me with an answer that she gave at the end. So There's also no longer intro with just me talking this week because the win of the week would have literally been take the leap. And that will make total sense to you once you hear Carmen's final answer on this episode. Like it's going to be crystal clear why I didn't come back on at the end and record an ending. Anyway, I said all that to say these aren't permanent changes. We're going to be back on track next week, but... I felt like this interview was so good, so impactful, so powerful that I wanted you guys to really experience the authenticity of the recording. Like I wanted you to feel what we felt while we were talking and while we were recording this in its fullness. So I didn't edit as much as I normally would just to make it fit into the typical structure of the show. So Now, with that said, we're going to be talking about everything in this episode from Carmen's experience with pay discrimination to Carmen finding herself in debt and then becoming debt free. And um, there's a career change in there. So she left the financial industry for the tech industry. And we end with talking about her recent layoff and her creation of Budget Better, which is a tool that I'm personally like really excited about. Now, because we cover so much in this episode, like it's like back to back to back to back, I want you guys to head over to winningtowealth.com slash episode 52. You can also find that in the episode description, but it's winningtowealth.com slash episode 52 and check out the show notes because I'm going to link to everything there that Carmen and I talked about from the bloggers that she mentioned to the ways you can connect with her and her app budget better and just so much more that we talk about in this episode but this is a longer recording than usual so i'm just going to stop talking right here and jump right into this interview with carmen perez from make real sense 
Hi, Carmen. Welcome to the show. I am so excited to have you today. Thank you so much for coming on and agreeing to do this interview. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. First things first, I want to go back really to, I guess, kind of what I see is like the beginning of your story, right? You have this move from Florida to New York and you have this friend that's kind of referring you to a job. Can you talk a little bit about that situation and what happened? Yeah, so um, at the time I was working at a retail slash investment bank in Florida and I knew it was time to make a move. I had been there almost three years and I was managing a team of uh, roughly seven people. Um, I was acting interim team lead and then my boss came on and I had to train her up and I was just like, why am I training someone to do what I'm like I'm nailing right now um, and doing really well and I was just very junior in my career I was it was early on in my career I was already managing seven seven people responding to audit requests all that stuff and it's and that's like a fairly big deal um, in the banking world so I said okay it's time for me I I've gotten a taste of what New York can offer. And it's not necessarily based on how many years you've been with a company. It's whatever, you know, if you can push revenue across the line, if you can bring your talents and, you know, take the team to the next level, um, merit is is rewarded. So I said, okay, it's time for me to, to leave Florida, pack up, let's go. So I started putting out all these feelers. Um, and my friend who had literally, he had just left the company, moved up to New York, started at this investment bank and he said, hey, come up here, the salary's hot, like, you know, it's gonna be great. And mind you, I had more experience than him, two more certifications uh, than he had. He, he didn't actually have any certifications at the time. And so I said, oh, awesome, you know, you got the job, like, can you, you, can you put in a referral for me? Like, what's up? And of course, if you refer somebody, they get a bonus if they get in and all that stuff. So he's like, yeah, got you, got you, got you. Get a call. I go through the interview process with them. It's all great. But I get a call and they said, okay, we'd love to have you on board. Here's your offer. Are you happy with it? And I kind of paused. So that offer was, I think, roughly around sixty-five or 67000 Um No, I take that back. They went up to sixty-seven. So I call them up and I said, hey, this is this is what I got this isn't what you necessarily promised. You told me you're at 75. Like, what's what's the deal? And he's like, yeah, that's weird. I don't know because you'd literally be like my counterpart. We we were going to be working in the same team. And he's like, so uh, that's, that's really strange. He's like, go back and just try to negotiate it up. You know, make sure you mention your certifications, your experience. He's like, that makes no sense to me. So um, I um, called them back and I said, hey, I have these certifications. I have this experience, you know, this isn't going to cut it for me. So they were like, okay, we'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll come back. So they gave me a call back a couple days later and said like, it was something like 67, um, or 70. It was a $5,000 like range, I think, or 7,000, somewhere around there, but it didn't pass 70,000. I can tell you that, um, there was nowhere near 70,000, uh, range they came back with and said, this is absolutely it. This is as far as we can go you know, take it or leave it type deal. Coincidentally, thank goodness, another offer came through the door at the same time um, at another investment bank where I was, the offer was 80,000. That's exactly what I wanted. First things first, like I want to share because I think when we talk about personal finance, 
there is definitely a personal responsibility component to it. At the same time, we can't ignore the fact that there are certain sectors of people who have to deal with things and overcome things that other people just don't have to. Right. Like I went through a similar situation to where I got a job offer for a company and it was 65. I negotiated it up to 72. So I negotiate up seven grand. I start working and my counterpart discloses that he's still making six grand more than me. That's $13,000 a year if I had to negotiate. And I actually did the math on that. The difference, if I just invested that 13000 over a 40-year career, it's almost $3 million, right? So, so this stuff definitely, definitely has a huge impact when we talk about building wealth on certain sectors of our community. So, I mean, talk about like in your situation. So you talk about, you know, you get the new job come through. What happened from that point? Yeah, I think that um, to your point, there's just some groups that just don't have to deal with certain things. And I think that because I went through this minority internship program, they kind of prepped us for all of this, like take off the rosy colored glasses. We aren't going to shy away from the fact that all of you need to exude excellence. And it's unfortunate that that has to be your level set going into all of these situations and we just want to make sure we prepare you as best as possible so when i when i got um the eighty thousand dollar offer uh started working at this bank and there was a there was a few things at play there i tend to be really what do really well within any role that i have and then i get switched over into like projects because I'm basically doing too well that they need to like keep me mentally stimulated in some way, some some way, shape or form. And then, then I can easily break down data a lot better, yada, yada, yada. So in this role, um, and I was only at this company for a year, uh, within this role, I started managing two consultants and and doing all this stuff. And I get called into the <laughs> called into the office, you know, and we're having I'm having a conversation with my boss. We're chit chatting, and he's like, you know, I, I need you to tell the consultants to come in at this time. I was like, well, I didn't hire them. You know, you didn't get my buy-in for that. I you just told me that I had to like manage them. I, I, you know, he he's getting his work done. I don't know the widgets in, widgets out. That's all I can ask him for. So if he's like here late, you know, I'll mention it, but. If, if you are trying to fish for some reason to get rid of this guy, I, I can't sit here and give you one. And that was not an answer, let me tell you. <laughs> it was not an answer that he wanted to hear. And that, that kind of like led to this path of my exit and not because of him. He was a, he was a great manager. Um, he was new to the team. And I think that, that he didn't have the luxury of being there long term where prior to him coming in, we had a black woman powerhouse, um, who's one of my mentors and a huge champion. Um, she actually, if, if it wasn't for her, I can't tell you that I wouldn't have been in a kind of, um, they do this thing where there's, you, you get tapped to go to breakfast with the MD, um, of your department. And these are kind of like the rising stars within the group that they think will continue to do very well in the firm and you know you, you know the growth is exponential if you can write it write it out um so if it wasn't for her she actually tapped me and one other person and now he's gone on to do incredible things he's still at the company still one of my really good friends um white guy uh 
if it wasn't for her being a champion for me, I can 100% tell you right now, I probably would have never made it into that room. And that was just a good validation personally for myself um, from my career standpoint. Because again, you go back to that internship and it's like, you guys have to always be excellent. And sometimes being excellent requires like biting your tongue and not saying, you know, the things that really need to be said, case in point, what I, the dialogue between me and my manager manager, um, because that those things can really hurt you. And thank goodness she was around before him to kind of vouch for me and push me forward um, through this program. And then, you know, I ended up getting exceptional, exceeds expectations on my review, yada, yada, yada. But it comes down to those points where you always have to show up a thousand times stronger than everybody else that's being mediocre. Um, And sometimes that boils down to the color of your skin, unfortunately. You know, so I want to say like, I found you or we connected on Instagram, right? You go by make real sense on Instagram. And and I see you all the time kind of talking about these issues. Do those ex- are those experiences like part of the reason why it's so important to you to talk about race and money and how those two things intersect? A hundred percent. Extremely important because I do think that there are there's there's broad um, personal finance advice and then there's personal finance advice that will only apply to certain groups, which also leaves out a large majority of the minority. Um, If you're not making enough to budget because, you know, it's not because you're not working hard enough, you're working 40, 50 hours a week, let's say McDonald's as a manager on the line, whatever, that doesn't mean that you're lazy. That just means that maybe whatever for whatever reason you're not having access to you know advance or you your family's not in the position to be able to you know for you to go off to college or do something different, and that's okay. But I do think that that kind of like very um, broad and reaching advice is harmful, especially for uh, people of color in our community because it does have this self esteem and. Um, confidence aspect that kind of diminishes when you're giving out this advice that it's like, okay, well, this should apply to me when it's like, no, let's focus on, it, it really is an income problem. Let's address that. And we need to figure out ways where we can get you skilled up so you can shore up your income to be able to start making that generational wealth impact. Um, because if not, the reality of the situation based on so many outside circumstances, systemic racism, the social, you know, socio and economic right. positions um, will keep you here, unfortunately. And so that's why I don't like these, you know, these like, oh, just even my story, you know, it's like, oh, uh, you know, you can you can save a thousand dollars a month if you cut cables. Like, no, that's not true. Like, you know, I, every especially my mom was a single mom single moms, single parents, they know how to make a dollar stretch doing every single thing possible to make money stretch. And it just might not be enough money. And then that's where I think why I get so passionate about talking about um, racial disparities within the wealth community, because some of that, the, the advice just doesn't apply. And sometimes it can be very harmful in ways that aren't very obvious, again, to like that self-esteem, that confidence, so on and so forth the mental health aspect. Yeah. And you know what? I love the fact that you brought up single parents right there because something that I've told some friends and I've never actually said it on the podcast until now, but like, you know, I grew up in in poverty. My mom was a single mom. She was in domestic violence situations until I was in like sixth grade. 
And here I am, you know, we've got a six figure net worth. We're doing really well for ourselves. But I will always say my mom could make money stretch and go further way better than I ever could have. Like if my mom, like the skills that she developed then, if she made the income that I've made in my career, man, like (laughs) living like a king. And that's crazy. We have the same background. We have the same background. And I hate to say it like, ooh, we can bond over this trauma. But it's (laughs) the reality of the situation is like that. That's wild that we have been able to, you know, we come from the same background. My mom, it was a single parent because there was a domestic violence um, situation. We'd go to shelters. I was only, I, I hate to say only for trauma comparison, but, you know, they got a divorce when I was eight. There was a lot of disruption between, you know, the ages of 10 and 12, and then everything kind of normalized um, on the the family front. But that's wild that, you know, we even have the same shared experience. It's crazy. I I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was my life from, I, I mean, probably, I think the first instance that I remember, I was like four years old. And then the last instance I remember of domestic violence, I was in the sixth grade. Wow. So like a huge chunk of my childhood, that, that's kind of what I saw. And, and I want to kind of stay right there a little bit. Like for me growing up, I didn't really get money conversations. Um, the only money conversations we got were like, we don't have it. And when we talked about budgeting, my mom was like using budgeting as a weapon to not spend money on things that we enjoy. Like we'd go to the store and ask her something. She'd be like, I'm on a budget. Like she wasn't on a budget. She just didn't have money. Right. And so can you talk a little bit about just how money was talked about as you were growing up? Yeah. So we, it was kind of like, yeah, either I don't have it. And my mom, she tried her hardest to keep us from like saying that because we were in those situations where it was so tough and so restrictive for so long that once she got out of that, she never wanted us to feel like, you know, we couldn't, you know, afford something or do something. So a lot of it just, it wasn't talked about, even though we kind of knew as children, and I won't say kind of, you're intuitive enough to know, like, we shouldn't ask for X or I shouldn't ask for Y, um, especially because my mom's my queen. And uh, it, it, I just knew that if we had asked for it, she was going to try everything in her power to make it happen. And Sometimes it just wasn't worth like seeing her break her back, you know, to try to get this over the line. Um, so in short, we we did, really didn't discuss money. We kind of had enough discernment to know um, not to ask for it. If we did ask for it and she said, like, we don't have it, you know, you pout you and you get over it. Um, but yeah, like she she didn't she didn't really talk about it, which I do think obviously now in retrospect, I wish she would have because Um, I think that would have changed my relationship with money to not always equate it with struggle or like my thing is she's such a hustler that my default is I know I can hustle to make it work. It's fine. I'll max out the paycheck. Well, back back in the day, that was my mentality. I can I can max it out. I'll figure it out. And that's all because I saw my mom doing it. Right. And so when you talk about that, you know, coming from the, the struggle, really, you know, and you mentioned earlier how credit was costing you a lot of money. What's the connection there between like what you saw growing up and then the habits you developed that led you to that place of having your credit, you know, kind of mess up your finances? Yeah. So I knew my dad like wasn't good with money at all. I knew that was like kind of open. Um, don't really speak to my father. Haven't in a while. 
years. Um, but I knew that that was kind of like his, his thing that was kind of trans transparent and then es especially post-divorce. So that was my dad's aspect. My mom's aspect was like, we're not talking about it, but I can see like, obviously she has to kind of like figure this out, which she did. So I think my thing was, I always related, I've related with the struggle and just in a different light, in a different way. Right. Um, unfortunately, so whether it would be the physical manifestation of seeing my parents or, you know, my mom get beat up and like us just kind of getting back to being okay after whatever fight happened. I think on the flip side of seeing all of that struggle with my parents, I think that I put myself in these situations where I would struggle in a financial aspect, relate to it because that's what I knew. And it just manifested growing up that physical violence into just something different. Um, and those are the situations where I'd go, like I got the card, a uh, car on 18.5% interest. And my friend came with me, he was there, my coworker, he came, um, different coworker. He came and he was like, I remember when you got that interest rate, he was like blown away. And I'm just like, okay, that's, you know, didn't negotiate it, didn't, I got the financing at the, the dealership, like didn't think it through drive the car off the lot. And then I'm thinking like, wow, this is actually a pretty expensive car payment. Um, and for six years, I, I did it on wow. a six year loan, did all this stuff like um, 500 or 450 the payment was. I was driving a Jeep, paying for a Benz and wow. a used, this is a used car. Right, right. So yeah, I think like I those those struggles kind of, Again, everyone's path is different and how they were, you know, their upbringing. But I think mine was this different manifestation of what I had witnessed just in a different form. Um, and I was doing it to myself. Okay, so let's go into your journey, because I know like at the peak of everything, you had like $57,000 worth of debt. So I know you have the car. Can you talk about what all went into that 57000 Yeah. So I had accounts and collections. Uh, I had credit card debt. And the rest was student loans. That was all of it. So credit card debt, collections, uh, my car, and student loans were, were all the 57000 48000 being student loans. Wow. Okay. So let me ask, like, were you always aware of how much debt you have or was there just this moment where you sat down and had to calculate everything and it was like, oh my gosh. I had no idea how much debt I had. I didn't have, I didn't know my net worth. I didn't know any of that. I just knew I had debt. And I knew that when I had moved, um, moved to New York, I was still borrowing money from friends and making very poor financial decisions. And a lot of that, so I was on the 80,000 salary. My car was... I'm pretty sure at the time, because towards the end, I think it went down to like 450. Let's say like 500, 450. Um, my rent was 900. Utilities, all that stuff, like that was half of my paycheck, if not 60% of my paycheck gone. And then 40% of just like living and existing in New York. That's actually, you know, it was probably more than 60% because then I'm not even including my student loans. The rest of my money just went who knows where. Um, and that was part of the problem, right? It was like, no idea how much money I actually owe. And I also don't know where my money's going to. You have, you actually had a little bit of margin, right? Between like your, your lifestyle, your expenses 
And it allowed you to really live. And for a lot of people, like, that's the dream. Like, okay, I'll take your student loans. I'll take your car payment if I can have a couple hundred dollars a month to do whatever the hell I want to with it, right? So, like, for you, what was that moment to where you were like, something's got to change. Like, I got to do something different here. So I was living paycheck to paycheck, high income earner, living paycheck to paycheck. And that wasn't making any sense to me. Like, why, why am I choosing this? And again, it goes back to like trying to figure out what your real struggle is and identifying that with money, uh, especially as someone that considers themselves maybe not to be so great with money. Um, really I, like exploring, like what, like, what is this? So I had that moment of why am I at this point now I am choosing to live paycheck to paycheck. I have no money saved. I make good money. What I don't know what I'm spending my money on. And I don't know. It was just, it was uh, the December of 2015. I know going in into the new year, I just like wanted something to be different. And I came across Mr. Money Mustache and I was like, this is a possibility. This guy's, he retired at the age I'm about to be in. I don't know. At the time it was like three years. So I'm like, this is great. What do I need? How how can I achieve this? And it was kind of one of those eye-opening, like I didn't never knew people were retiring early. Like I had never heard of that. Like what? What are you talking about? I maybe heard of someone retiring at 50, 55, you know, that's early, but I had no idea at 30. So that was the moment where it was, it kind of clicked in my head. One, why are you choosing to do this? You don't have to, you have the luxury and the privilege of not having to do this. And two, there's this example of what you could be uh, if you just kind of like figure it out, float around. And then, you know, I started doing the budgeting and paying off my debt, got sued. Um, and then it was history from there. So, <laughs> so you know, something that I just really thought about kind of in my own story, really, as you were talking, like I just had this little revelation of like, you know, people say, oh, you need to surround yourself with like positive influences and people that are doing well. But like that in and of itself is a privilege. Right. Because, I mean, here you are, like we have similar backgrounds, grew up similar. Then you actually work in finance. And and it wasn't until you were even outside of that, that you had access to the knowledge of of even the personal responsibility component of personal finance. Right. Right. So like that just speaks to the role that access to knowledge actually plays in your journey as well. And so many people don't even have that. But so I want to go forward a little bit because. Like, obviously, you paid off all your debt, right? And so after you hit this point where you kind of wake up, like, what were some of those first steps that really made a difference in you being able to pay off your debt? Yeah, so I won't take away from the fact that definitely, like, the income. And it's crazy. I just want to touch on one one thing. One of my friends, she's Spanish and co-worker at the time. We were walking outside, and she goes, girl, you know, sometimes, like, I think to myself, like, we're in rooms with partners and people that are millionaires were getting on these elevators and she comes from a single family home as well and she's just like we it just it's we're we're in these rooms with these people and she goes years years ago I would have never imagined this for myself like how is it that we're here and I and I told her the same thing it's crazy you know and it's all these little steps that we took to get to that point that the I went through inroads they helped out a lot with etiquette and like what to say, what not to say, what you should wear, what you'll look a hot mess in at work. Like, you know, so they, they provided all this access 
that in exposure that had I never gone through that program, I wouldn't have been thriving in corporate America to the extent that I was. Well, at least I thought. Um, so to your question for uh, the budgeting and just like getting out of debt and working through that, the biggest things that I would say, definitely my income, being cognizant of what I was actually um, spending. So I actually got on a zero-based budget. We cut a lot of expenses, or, or the expenses that we could, reduce spending on food, um, and it fr- freed up cash. It's like, whoa, this is magic. This is uh, just a few changes, and then this m- money like magically appears if you actually put yourself on like a little bit of a schedule and some structure. It was it was nice. Like, think, I mean, literally, even having like a hundred bucks left at the end of the month, it's like, whoa, I just broke the paycheck to paycheck cycle. Yeah, and that's a win for so many people. Like, I know in 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 my Facebook group we do Winning Wednesday where we kind of share our wins. It's like just that thing of like like you and I interacted on actually Debt Trippin's Instagram post like a week ago, and we were talking about like you know I used to put a dollar in the pump or whatever, just enough to get to work back and forth to work until payday. Like, look, man, you that, knew all those the are wins, bro. Yes, <laughs> like, you knew yes. all the tricks when, like you said, we, our parents knew how to stretch a dollar. Like you knew all the tricks. <laughs> I hate to say I'm not proud of it now because obviously I'm in a better spot. But I knew, I knew, like you said, it was the it's a balance between either swiping the card for gas and it's going to overdraft, or swiping it for food. Like you just had to be strategic about what you were doing. Yeah, and like the worst thing is like when you get that overdraft and they take the big transaction first, <laughs> and then like they hit you with the overdraft for like nine other, and it's like, man, just take them in the order in which they happened. I had a plan. I would have only got hit with two fees if it wasn't for y'all tripping. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm about to fall out of my chair. That is. <laughs> That is my thought process. That's how strategic, like, can you imagine if we just would have put that much thinking into crafting a budget or at least me early on, but here I am trying to, you know, finesse the system. Like, okay, well, you know, this, this overdraft is only going to run me 35. I get paid on Friday, you know, and then I'll take, you know, and I'm moving. Budgeting the overdraft in. Like, I've never had to edit out this much laughter. I don't even know. I might even I might not even edit out all this laughter because this is hilarious. <laughs> you, you said but but the overdraft is. I'm I'm done for tonight. You're like, you know, I know it's coming. It's on the way. Like it's just <laughs> And my friend, my friend did message me about that though. She was like, "I remember when you used to overdraft." She was like, "You knew when too how much how much it would overdraft." <laughs> She's like, "Look at you now! I'm so proud." I was like, "Thank you." Oh man, if you can relate to that, like, uh, hit us up on Instagram Please. and like let us know your overdraft story if you can relate to that right there. But I, I do want to go back to like your actual debt free journey. And so let's just let's move forward. How long did it take you to pay off your debt? Because you said it was fifty seven thousand. You you get on a budget, you get on a plan, you find all this money and you start putting this extra money towards your debt. So how long did it take you to to pay off your debt? Uh, Two years, nine months. Um, That included bonuses, tax refunds, all the savings that I could get out of what I was making. 
Um, and I stopped contributing to my 401k and <laughs> we, we do need, we do, we do need a plan for the, the, not just the overdrafts, but like, what was your money trick? Like, what was your money hack? I used to, I used to settle, settle the guys around in my car for campus and they had to give me $5. So I would, I would run, I would. <laughs> I had run the difference right to my wallet or to food. Like, you know, okay, I'm going to only put it in a quarter. They give me money. They're like, oh, we gave you money last time. I was like, well, I didn't fill it up. (laughs) Man, okay, so mine, I used to, like, look at my account, and I'd be like, okay, I got, like, $3.27 in here, and I need gas to get to work for the next four days. I know that if I run my card and I push debit, it's going to take a dollar out of the account, right? So they're only going to take a dollar while it's pending. So if I hurry up, I can swipe the gas, go to Taco Bell, get a five-layer burrito for a dollar, and I've stretched that $3 into a full tank of gas and a meal. And and a loan. And if they do it right, I would only get hit with the one overdraft. But when they do it wrong, I got oh, now so I got two fault. overdrafts. Right? <laughs> it's ACA. It's ACA. <laughs> Man, they got money. Let me hold some till Friday. Like, oh, just... <laughs> I'm but you do you know? Like, okay, so how many times? That's what you really need to be calculated. Is how many times? Oh my gosh! That you did that. That well, one. What's the interest rate on that? So thirty-five. If you swipe and you go over two dollars, even into the red, it was a thirty-five dollar charge. And then, it, like you said, they'll hit you with like multiple, which I feel is so predatory. And yeah. then, um, how however many times you did that? I think the craziest one for me was like. I got a McDouble one time from McDonald's and it overdrafted me. So it was like a $36 McDouble. <laughs> right? Like <laughs> You're like this was not this is not what I wanted to do it for. Man, we got food at home is like that's for me, right? <laughs> like <laughs> That's for a younger me. Like that that Oh man, yeah, I spent so much money just in just silly overdraft stuff. Where, like you said, I mean, to your point, like if I had just sat down and put all that energy <laughs> and all that brain power into saying, okay, I get paid this much, this is what I have to spend. Yeah. And let me create a plan for that. If I had just done that, I could have saved myself so much money. Right. But you live and learn. Yes, 100%. And we learn now. <laughs> now. Now it's such a good laugh because I didn't, I didn't think anyone else actually would openly admit and like, as soon as you said that on that post, I died because my friend, she messaged me a while ago and said, I remember when you used to like strategically plan these overdrafts so you could go out like, I don't know, a mess. Um, so it took two years, nine months to pay off the debt. And that included tax refunds, bonuses, uh, us cutting all those expenses, um, keeping our rent below 25%. I picked up a side hustle. Um, I was. I even did an arm model thing for Clinique. Yes, that's a, a thing where they put shades of of uh, lipstick on your arm. You could do do like the picture, but that was one. That was a little side hustle that paid some extra. So any extra money that I got, I threw it right towards that. Um, and that took two years, nine months. 
Wow. Okay. So what is, what was it like for you? Like the moment when you became debt free? And I asked that question because everybody on the show, I, I asked that question too. Like we've got like half the people that say it was super anticlimactic and it was like a letdown. And then other people are like, oh, it was the best day of my life. Like I, I can't get over it still. So what was it like for you when you hit submit on that last payment? It felt, I was, so I was at FinCon um, for your new list, our listeners that don't know what that is, it's a personal finance conference. And it was like, what a better, what a better place to like be at than, you know, where all these personal finance people are. I hit submit, then went to the conference and it just, it felt really, it felt good. Like I am not, I'm the worst at celebrating wins because it's always like, what's next for me? I'm terrible at it. But it felt really good in the moment. I remember going out, we ate, we had like champagne and it didn't feel like weird, even though it was broke at this point. <laughs> Zero dollars. Still ain't got it. Yeah, yeah, still ain't got it. Cause I think people do think, yeah, like once you become debt free, the the world is your oyster, which it is, but you have to like start building, you know, you gotta build that oyster up. Um, right. at least now you're like at zero. I actually heard something last night about um, a guy saying, this millionaire saying like, oh, he's better off than me, this guy, this homeless man in the park, because I have, you know, a negative net worth of millions of dollars because of X, Y, and Z investments. And this guy is probably closer to zero. Um, and it kind of puts things into perspective if you think about it. It's like, oh, you know, so the, my debt definitely was keeping me in the negative and then it pushed me to zero. So at least I had a clean slate. Um, but yeah, it felt it felt good. I didn't celebrate it long enough, but it felt really good because I was already on to the next. Like now, I can save to quit my job. <laughs> Walk me through that part. Like, what was going on in your career that made you say, "Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm over this. I'm done. I'm ready for something different." Um, I had just gotten to the point where I was working a lot of hours. I was extremely stressed, so I was in a role that um, spanned different time zones. Um, I had a European counterpart. We were doing the same thing, taking on a lot of clients, and it was just getting to be very stressful. It was kind of more towards the sides of like sales and trading. That's not what I did, um, but I supported the sales and trade the sales teams and the traders. And it just becomes like very stressful, especially when you kind of feel like understaffed to an extent. So that coupled with like just a very toxic work environment, um, just comments that I had heard, things that had been said. And the place that I was at was not representative at all of any any person that I look like. I could name probably call out five people of color on the floor that I worked at, um, at this particular firm. And it was just becoming exhausting, like putting on this kind of always having to switch to corporate vernacular when you walk through the door and having to put a smile on your face regardless of what's going on, you know, behind closed doors, aka me drowning in debt, um, regardless of like whatever your personal finance situation is, you're going out to these very expensive lunch, lunch um, and sometimes they put it on the corporate card and then other times everyone splits the bill and it's like, you know, we go and get all these really expensive steaks and I'm a vegetarian, but we're still going to split it, you know? So it was just, it was a lot of pressure to keep up um, with something that I just wasn't passionate about. I didn't feel like I was really contributing um, by sitting in a desk, helping someone else make money. And some people really thrive at doing that and they do it very well. I just, I, I, it started becoming very draining. I started becoming somebody that I was not 
and that was like a big sign for me. I was be- un- it was I was unbecoming. I started not necessarily wanting to be like the best team player and I started picking up the attitudes of the people around me. And then that's mm. when I felt like that started to, you know, sink in. Yeah, so that was that was like okay, it's it's time. Like you you've never been like this. You've always been 100% you're going to stay till like the project gets done. You no matter what it is, whether you like it or not, you always give 110%. I just started feeling that slipping and that made me feel even worse. <laughs> so did you start to feel that prior to your debt-free journey or while you were on your debt-free journey? Both. And I and and I think too. So I'll say, take it all the way back. Mister Money Mustache, coupled with the fact that I was not in a good spot, I think that that like pushed me and motivated me to like. I know this isn't it. It's going to help me get to wherever I want to be. But I know this isn't it. So the only way that I can get out of this is if I pay off all this debt and I'm not tied to this anymore. It's not like this, you know, cash cow for me that I see as this like golden handcuffs, right? Um, and yeah, so that was the, I had already, I was tired of not seeing faces and people that look like me. I was tired of just the toxic work environments that I was in. And then there was like microaggressions and all that stuff. And you, it just starts wearing on you after some time. So yeah, by the time I had become, I thought it was soul crushing that my debt-free date had gotten pushed out because <laughs> I didn't think I was going to be able to last like past June um, I paid off my debt in September, and I it, it the, when I tell you it was the biggest struggle for me to just not get up and quit my job. I got to the point where it was like every Monday I'd be ready to be in tears, or Sunday night, just like I I don't want to go to that place. You know that's really important because back in May, like right after the whole George Floyd thing, I recorded an episode where I talked about how financial independence can be a form of social activism. And I specifically called out toxic workplace culture. Like the fact that, you know, you can see somebody that looks like you get murdered unjustly, receive no justice, and then you have to show up to work on Monday morning and act like everything's okay. Because if you don't, if you show your real emotions, the struggles that you actually face, when it's review time, that gets held against you. And that costs you real dollars on the back end. So I'm glad you touched on that because like, again, that's a very real, that's a very real problem that we deal with and that we face and it affects our dollars, which affects our wealth and affects our net worth. And so with that, like I want to, obviously you, you end up leaving that career. What was the motivation for you to go into the the tech space that, like you did? Yeah. So I knew um, early on in high school, I knew that you could make a lot of money in finance, right? That was the literally, and I was good with math. And I was like, ooh, my, my teacher had told me a story about some penny stock he invested in, made a bunch of money and then lost it all. And I was really intrigued by that. So it was some engine that made the world go round, which is money, the markets, everything that we touch basically has to do with it. So I said, cool, I want to do that because then I know I'll be able to take care of my mom down the road and all this stuff. Like I'll make a good salary. So that's why I initially picked finance. Then I started looking at tech and seeing like the writing on the wall um, as far as like I was always good with Excel. That's my That was my intro into tech. <laughs> I was always a go-to person for like formulas, all that stuff, reporting metrics, all that jazz, self-taught, figured all that out. And that's a huge commodity in uh, finance. If you know Excel, you're like always the, the, that's why I always got put on projects essentially, because they're like, okay, she can manipulate this data in a way that makes sense and she can do it quickly. So 
I started seeing the writing on the wall at the last firm that I was at with the traders and the algos, the algorithms, kind of moving at the same pace, if not a little bit faster than the traders, not as relative to like actual mm. trading time, but like the development and the speed at which these trading al- algorithms are starting to be developed and coming out the door quickly, all these firms returning to robo-advisors, all this stuff. So I started seeing this like, maybe this industry is going to possibly, it's not going to go away completely, absolutely not. But I do think there's, it's going to be harder to thrive in finance Especially, regardless, it's hard to thrive in any industry the higher you go. And then especially the the higher you go as a person of color, it's even harder. Um, So I thought, hey, picking up an additional skill would be very good. And I kind of like this. And I see it as the writing on the wall. It's the wave of the future. And, oh, you just so happen to be able to make an exponential amount of money in tech if you want to. Um, If you, I think not want, but if you like really put your best foot forward and, you know, figure out different languages and yada, 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 there's potential for large incomes within this field as well. And case in point, it makes the world go around as well. Tech does. Um, So that was like my big, like, this is something I should get into. So I can kind of hedge against my career growth later on in life. At least I will have been in the tech field for, you know, 10 plus years and not relative to any of my counterparts who, who have been coding since they were like three. But <laughs> it was it was a way for me to hedge against like later in life um, career transitions or, you know, just hedging out. And I saw actually one trader that had been there at the firm that I was at for 20 years get laid, laid off. And I was just like, this is interesting. Wow. Okay, so I know like, I get bombarded with these Facebook ads for like these coding boot camps all the time. And I know that was part of your experience. So can you talk a little bit about going through that and then getting that first job? Because I know just from people that I know who've gone that route, it can be tough actually breaking into that industry. So talk a little bit about your experience of really getting your foot into the door. Thank you so much for that, because it is important. I think that, you know, these boot camps are sold But any tech job, your first tech job, whether you have a CS degree or not, from what I understand, it is challenging because they want an intern who will pay $10 an hour that has three years of experience plus a PhD in computer science, um, you know, coupled with they know 18 different computing languages just to get that internship. So getting your first job in tech, whether it be a CS, you've gone the computer science route and got a degree in that, or you're self-taught or you've gone to a boot camp, is just t- challenging, period, no matter what age, what skill set. Um, so I went to a coding boot camp that was three months. It was an intensive, immersive three-month program where we were doing 40 hours a week in the class and then anywhere between... I don't know, any given night, I was maybe doing three to five hours of work plus the weekend. And the weekend meaning like these were like long hours. These are the bigger projects. A great way to get your foot in the door as far, like get your, the, the ground, lay the groundwork for coding. And then it's really on you to just be ambitious enough to continue to go past that and continue to code, continue to learn on your own. Um, so I did that coding bootcamp from, uh, September, 2019 to December, uh, 2019, got a job offer from actually, uh, one of the guys that used to work in finance. He saw my Forbes article and he gave me a call and said, Hey, 
I checked you out on LinkedIn. We have a similar background. We both went to the same coding boot camp. We dropped out of Wall Street, basically, and now we're coding. Would you be interested in working at this startup? And I was like, uh, yeah, absolutely. I just need a job. I just, whatever I can do in tech, I'm going to be super excited because I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. So anything, like, cool. So got the job, uh, worked at that startup, and then got laid off in May. So, I mean, what have you been up to since since losing your job? Because you went through this intensive process like of leaving your career, going through the boot camp, getting that getting your foot in the door in this industry. What was that like? Um, this is the first time. So, I struggled a little bit from a self-esteem standpoint because it was one of the first times where I didn't have this is like did I make the right decision? Now I put forth all of these like good seeds and I've sowed all this good stuff. I've, you know, gotten myself out of debt. My credit's completely transformed. I was very successful, well, to my, (laughs) again, to my, from my perception within my career. And then I took this big leap, getting laid off and like just all of like COVID and this is for everybody. It put me in a very weird headspace because then I started backtracking in my mind did I make the right decision? Is this a mistake? Is this for me? Like now it's hard for me to get a job in tech because now I have this like, you know, five month, six month experience, but it's not like a year um, where all these job descriptions are requiring a year plus for a junior position. So it's just like this weird conundrum um, that I was in for a little bit. My headspace was uh, to be a hundred percent. It was just like, did I, I feel like, am I a failure now? Like, you know, I switched careers and I don't know if I made the right decision. Okay, got over that hump. And I said, now this will actually give me time to start implementing the very thing that I went into coding to do. Hands down. This is the only reason why, because I'm like, I'm not going to be able to afford to pay somebody this. I want to learn it. This is going to be job security. It's going to help me. This skill is going to be, you know, help me astronomically. Let's just go for it. So then that's when I started Budget Better. I pitched it in May to a black incubator, um, black investors club in LA, got third place. So I'm a big fan of like taking that leap. It happened when I moved from New York to uh, Florida to New York, got that $80,000 salary. I put that on a vision board. That was, that was what I wanted. That first hurdle, if I would have been like, yeah, I'll take it with that lower salary. I don't know where I'd be right now. Um, Held out. That higher salary phone call came through literally days later, exactly what I wanted. And I said, okay, cool, I'm going to take this leap. And that was me saying, like, I knew Florida wasn't it for me anymore. Next was fast forward to um, getting out of finance, going into tech. Just take the leap, Carm, take the leap. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to save the money. I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to get into tech, get a phone call. Hey, they're offering a free coding boot camp in Stanford, Connecticut. You're, if you're a resident of Connecticut, you can take the, the coding boot camp. That's usually fifteen to $18,000 oh, yeah. for the three months for free. Okay. So I was like, all right, I know that I'm on the right path. I just have to trust it. So that's when I got over the hump of like, you got laid off. Because then then fast forward, I was stressed about getting a job. Get a job instantly. Um, and I'm not taking any of this for granted. Then obviously get laid off from the job. But you know, it's it's one of those things, again, you you take the leap and you have to constantly remind yourself, like, you've been okay. Well, at least for me, I've, I've been okay. And I if, as long as you trust that voice that's like letting you know and guiding you that if you have enough faith to leap, we'll figure it out. So 
Fast forward to May, pitch in a contest, got third place. And this is the first time I had ever pitched to investors, ever. There was 11 companies, 12 companies that made it to the final round. This is the first time I'd ever, this was my idea at this point. Pitch this idea to anybody, even pitch, period, to investors. This is crazy. I got third place. These other two um, people that won, they're two women, two women of color. They won. They had pitched before, like, you know, here and there. They had gone through accelerators. They had this training. Like, I had nothing under my belt. So first place prize was going to be you get into this accelerator. Um, And it's a business accelerator that helps you, like, either get your idea off the ground or um, gives you more guidance and access to resources to be able to continue to build out your business. The first place winner had already gone through this accelerator, so disqualified. They this particular accelerator, so they're like, okay, we'll move the prize down. And they had said this at the beginning, we'll move the prize down of the accelerator if if the person who who wins has already gone through it. The second person, so the second place winner <laughs> had 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 gone through the accelerator. Bam, I was next on the list, and let me tell you. Uh, you you'll get rewarded and again I was feeling so shaky and then I reminded myself like look this everything has panned out so perfectly to this point why are you stressing it's like come on cry about it pat yourself on on the back like it's time to just keep moving and keep your head on your shoulders and and keep it going and that's what ended up happening I got into this business accelerator um, for budget better Uh, it was a program grid 110 out of South LA it was an accelerator for people in South LA I'm in Connecticut and I told them I said look the only reason why why I wanted to do this contest is to win first place so I can get into this accelerator I didn't realize it was like location based Um, that was like kind of left out and uh, it worked. They they said, yeah, we'll have you as long as you're fine with signing on pretty late at night. So I get on calls from 10 to 12 at night, um, but it's worth it to me. They've helped push budget better like a hundredfold. I, I can't even thank them enough for it. Again, to your point, it's just that exposure, that access, that programs like this are just are killing it. And it makes me so when I get to the point where I can give back in a meaningful, meaningful way like this, and I know any dollar, you know, helps, I want to be able to create a program like this. You just put a fantastic bow on all of this and tied everything we talked about together. So I'm going to wrap it up right there. But before I do, I want to give you the opportunity to let people know not only where they can find you, but where they can learn more about Budget Better. Yeah, so I'm at all things make real sense. So make real and then sense as in like change. So C E N T S. So make real sense uh, dot com on Instagram. Make real sense. I cut up on Instagram. I like to make money fun. So uh, just a fair warning for everyone who's looking to follow me. I do like to do a mix of informative and fun posts. Um, oh, they know that oh, based on this yeah, episode. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and you can learn about Budget Better at www.budgetbetter.io. Um, we plan on launching a very uh, our basic minimum viable product, as the industry likes to say, um, in October, late October, early November of this year. Uh, it'll roll out as a web app and then turn into a mobile app. But it is a 
Essentially, Budget Better is a social budgeting app um, that we aim to automate the tedious parts of personal finance, like creating a budget or a plan to get out of debt while fostering a sense of accountability through community. Um, so you'll be able to connect with like-minded people on the platform, create your budgets, figure out where you're at, put a plan in place, and it's all done for you through an educational way. Well, hey, you guys know how big I am on budgeting community, accountability, all of that. So be sure you go check everything out. I'm going to link to everything Carmen just mentioned in the show notes. But Carmen, thank you so much for coming on and recording with me. It's been an absolute pleasure and a blast to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me. I greatly appreciate it. You've wrapped up another episode of the Winning to Wealth podcast. To learn more about how you can start making winning money decisions, head over to winningtowealth.com. 